Welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I'm Director of the European Council on Foreign Relations and today it's the 15th of October. Today's podcast is the first in a two-part series of special Britain in Europe campaign podcasts. We're living through the middle of an epidemic of Europe campaign launches. We had this week the launch of the IN campaign, Britain is Stronger in Europe, and that follows hot on the heels of the launch of not one, not two, but three out campaigns, Leave.eu, Vote Leave, and most recently the Referendum Planning Group. So we'll start this podcast on Monday the 12th of October when the IN campaign was officially launched and I went along to hear its chairman Lord Rose launch his vision for a Britain that was stronger in Europe. Israel was born from deregulation in Europe. Airfares are 40% lower for consumers. More businesses, small, medium and large, being able to be connected to Europe. It's easy. Everything is easy because of Europe. Um, huge consumer benefit, but huge business benefits. So fostering trade links all across Europe. Being in Europe means I can export my wine without any barriers. To be stronger, I need European business, I need European goodwill, and I need European customers. I love to go backpacking in Europe. And low roaming charges keep communication strong with my family back home. So that is the argument that the IN campaign puts out in its first promotional video. So the Umbrella IN campaign is going to be organising much of the air war for the next few months. But the ground war will be run by party campaigns associated with each of the main parties. So I caught up with two politicians, one from the Conservative Party and one from the Labour Party, who were leading lights in the respective campaigns to keep Britain in Europe. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Damien Green, who is a Conservative Member of Parliament and politician with a long track record dealing with European issues in the Prime Minister's Policy Unit. as a spokesperson for various um, issues in opposition, but also as uh, a minister in charge of immigration issues, which is one of the big topics which uh, will come up during the uh, referendum campaign. Damien, you are also one of the leading European, pro-European Conservatives. If you uh, had to make the case for Britain staying in Europe to a Conservative Party audience in a minute, what does your elevator pitch sound like? It's, it's twofold, really, boiling it down. The first is economic. Britain is stronger economically uh, for being part of the European Union. Uh, those in my party who argue that we should withdraw say we should stop concentrating on this relatively slow growth part of the world and concentrate instead uh, on, on China and India and places like that. It's always struck me as a complete nonsense to say that making it more difficult to export to Germany makes it easier to export to China. Of course, the two uh, are complementary. And the Conservative Party has always regarded itself as the party of business. And overwhelmingly, the voice of business is in favour of Britain staying in the European Union. And if the Conservative Party turned against that, then it would be cutting itself off uh, from one of the roots of its strength and success. The other particularly conservative argument, uh, is about Britain's voice in the world. Conservatives are patriotic. Uh, We believe that Britain has something to offer uh, the world. And 
uh, Britain's voice in the world, in all parts of the world, would be diminished if we decided voluntarily to pull out of a group of friendly democracies. You know, they themselves obviously would work less closely with us, but also we know, we know because President Obama said it, that the Americans would, would take us less seriously uh, if we pulled out of the European Union. And, and in China and India, they would regard this as an eccentric decision uh, by uh, a country that you know, they, they can feel about what they like, but, but accept us as, as one of the important voices in the world. So it would make Britain less strong economically. It would diminish Britain's voice in the world if we left. And that's why I think there is a strong conservative case for staying in a, a reformed European Union. So one of the challenges for the referendum campaign will be the question about well, the question behind the question. Is this a question about uh, economics or is it one about migration and, and sovereignty? How do you think the refugee crisis changes the dynamics and how much does it make the case for the, make it, how much more difficult does the case for staying in be, uh, become in these sorts of circumstances? It's certainly true that Nigel Farage and the Out campaign uh, want to turn this into a referendum on immigration and that anyone who has got any worries about immigration, they're saying essentially this will, this will be solved if we pulled out of the EU. And there's no doubt that the fact that uh, Europe as a whole is having huge difficulties coming up with a sensible and coherent policy about the, uh, the waves of migration that are, are pouring into southeastern Europe and beyond at the moment um, doesn't help make the argument that the European Union is working particularly well at the moment so it's obviously important for all sorts of reasons of which this is a relatively small one uh, that uh, Europe centrally uh, gets a grip with that um, and I think the, the way to address it in British terms is actually to look at the practicalities because uh, one of the uh, the ways in which the whole refugee crisis impinges on Britain is clearly through what's happening at Calais, uh, where we've got camps of refugees. They're desperately trying to get into Britain. And perhaps one of the ironies of the UKIP position, of the out position, um, is that it's pretty unarguable that if Britain pulled out of the EU, then the French agreement to let us have our national border in France at Calais would go. Why would the French want to uh, do us a favour? It's a huge favour the French do us. We work together very well with them. Um, that British border controls are actually on the, the French side of the border. If those border controls were moved back to Dover, uh, as they inevitably, I think, would have to be if we pulled out, um, then what the scenes you see in Calais would, would be happening in Kent, you know, as it happens where my constituency is, so I feel about this very, very passionately. Um, that would be massively to the disadvantage of Britain's immigration control. Britain's own immigration controls would be weakened uh, by pulling out of the European Union. So at a cool, factual level, it is perfectly possible uh, to take on the, the emotion of you know, the desire to control your own borders that the out campaign uh, puts as, as, as a large part of the mix of their argument. So, I, you know, I, in a sense, I feel, bring this argument on. The more you think about it, the more you think they are bad in the area they regard as, as their strongest argument. And how do you, what's your operating assumption about how central immigration is going to be to the out campaign? Because on the one hand, I was a research assistant in the House of Commons in 92, 
uh, when Maastricht was going through, uh, 92, 93. And at that time, a lot of the Eurosceptic arguments felt slightly abstract and weren't really cutting through that much to the general public. But what really changed that was migration and the, confu- the fusion of Europe and migration, because you suddenly had a concrete way of showing that we lost control of, of our borders. But on the other hand, there are a lot of very prominent Eurosceptics that aren't particularly hostile to immigration. I've spoken to Douglas Carswell, for example, um, or even Bill Cash. Um, uh, they don't share the, the kind of visceral antipathy to, to free movement that Nigel Farage and UKIP do. Do you think that they will have that as their central issue, or do you think it will just be a UKIP um, campaign that talks about migration and that there'll be other campaigns uh, maybe led by Business for Britain or other groups that take a more uh, nuanced uh, stance on the migration issue? I I think it it depends who comes out on top. I mean, the the point is that there isn't uh, an out campaign at the moment. There are sort of three, as far as I can see, uh, and that they all want to run on on, on different issues. And uh, crudely, that's not my problem, that's their problem, how they want to make their argument, all their arguments, I think. Uh, are on the whole wrong. Um, I, I do think that uh, immigration is the most emotional argument they've got. It's clearly what Nigel Farage and UKIP, though, as you say, not Douglas Carswell, who ironically is UKIP's only member of parliament, uh, want to make. So they've got their own internal tensions as well. Um, and, of course, there are people in the media, particularly newspapers, who will be you know, happy to run uh, stories along those lines. So... I imagine that whether the the more intellectual end of the out argument wants to run immigration as a big argument or not, they they will run it as a big argument, um, and it, it's a big issue generally in Britain. So it it's it would be foolish to try not to take it head on. As I say, I think in practical terms, uh, the the net effect on the refugee crisis, which is what dominates arguments about immigration now, would actually be be damaging for Britain's immigration control. And and then you move on to the you know, the wider argument that um, if we pulled out of the EU, um, it would certainly make it much more difficult for people to come here and work uh, from, uh, from places like, like Poland, you know, people who come here and, and work hard and pay taxes and contribute uh, to our society. Uh, and it would also be potentially hugely disadvantageous to the hundreds of thousands of Brits who live in other parts of Europe but can rely on the fact that they are citizens of the wider European Union to make sure uh, that they get proper protections. They would presumably just become just another foreigner in all those countries, particularly Spain, uh, where many of them live. So it might affect a lot of British citizens uh, in the wrong way. So I think this is an argument that will will have to be had, but I'm quite confident in in making the arguments uh, in, in this field. On the economic front, Part of the Eurosceptic playbook will be to try and muddy the waters because most of most British companies, uh, certainly the bigger ones, are very much in favour of staying in the European Union. When CBI has polled its members, it's, I think, nine to one or eight to one um, in favour of staying in. Um, but there are obviously a lot of uh, colourful business voices that will come out and speak against uh, membership of the European Union. Um, do you think that it will be possible, uh, given broadcasting rules, to show that the, the kind of vast majority of business opinions in favour of staying in? Or do you think that they will somehow manage to make it look like the economic arguments have divided on this? 
Well, in, in a sense, that's, it's a sort of technical campaigning question. It's, yeah. it's who's running an effective campaign. Because, yes, the facts are the overwhelming majority of British business uh, wants to stay in. Uh, it's, it's a less over, absolutely, it's a less overwhelming majority in small businesses. And, and clearly, there is work for the, the in-campaign to be done among small businesses. But even there, there's a, a plurality of voices. There's a majority that says they want to stay in. And it is, as you say, 80 90% among big businesses. I suspect that the business voice will, will only really be heard after the Prime Minister has finished the renegotiations because many of them are, are holding back until then. Uh, and assuming, as I, I, I hope and expect, those negotiations are successful, the Prime Minister comes back and says, I'm recommending uh, that we stay in. I think you will then hear um, a very strong uh, business voice and it will be the job of campaigners for us to stay in to make sure that that the facts get through. Because, yes, there will always be individual voices uh, on the other side, but if it's the case that business is 80-20 in favour of staying in, then that fact needs to be uh, well recognised around the country. And how much of an advantage is that? Because in 1975, it was obviously uh, enormously important for the in-campaign to have most of the political parties, well, all the leaders of the political parties, most of uh, big business, all the newspapers apart from the Morning Star lined up. Um, nowadays, there does seem to be a, a tendency for people to revolt against elites in different places. Um, certainly, the Labour Party has shown a predilection for <laughs> giving yeah. its elites a, a, a bloody nose. Um, what do you think uh, how does that play out in, in, in 2016 or 2017 when the referendum takes place? I think, I mean, it is clearly important, uh, the, the business voice. And you know, even in an era where, as you say, anti-politics has been on the rise uh, in all European countries, I suppose the, the nearest analogy is the Scottish referendum in this country, where uh, even though all the emotion was on, on the side of, of getting out and Braveheart, and uh, there, there were sort of positive and negative emotions unleashed by that, on by what was the yes campaign in Scotland, yes, yes to get out of the UK. In the end, it was the economic argument that won that. It's been perverse in British politics since you would think almost that the SNP, the Scottish Nationalists, had won that election, uh, from the won that referendum from the way they've behaved since, but they didn't. In the end, uh, the people of Scotland, on uh, a, a largely economic argument decided rightly uh, that they should stay within the UK. So it, it's it's impossible to overstate the importance of the basic economic argument. Will you and your family be better off or not? Will they be taking a huge economic risk if this uh, referendum goes the wrong way? I think that will be a hugely powerful part of the campaign. I'm glad you raised Scotland because I think there are two big questions which come out of that for the European campaign. One is this question of emotion, because it was a totally bloodless campaign. The no campaign in Scotland was, they won a numerical victory, but they certainly didn't feel like they'd won <laughs> afterwards. Um, do you think that there is a patriotic, emotional argument which can be made for Britain to stay in the European Union, or do you think it will have to be a, a similarly bloodless, pocketbook-based campaign? I think it's, uh, it, it needs both, obviously. It, it shouldn't be as bloodless. I think yeah, everyone agrees that people involved in the uh, campaign in Scotland agreed that it was, it was too bloodless for too long, and only in the last few days did it become more emotional. And it is perfectly easy to make, if you like, an emotional case for saying 
Britain's an outward going country, always have been. We are proud of our place in the world, and the European Union is one means by which our voice in the world is amplified. Uh, as I said earlier, and, and, and that's quite a, a stirring patriotic case. The other area which is really interesting is that the group in Britain uh, most keen on Britain playing a full role in the European Union and staying in are young people. And you know, young people are, you know, we all know, inclined to be turned off traditional politics, though it's actually rather a political generation, unsurprisingly, as they, they've grown up uh, in a long recession and harnessing that enthusiasm, which is already there, uh, is is a task for the for the in campaign. But uh, it's it, it shouldn't be impossible because they're the group in society that most wants to stay in. The other thing, which is maybe a bit related to this emotional thing, is is the the idea of the never ender. So in Scotland, it's pretty clear that though people voted for the union, they. The emotional argument was lost and it's only a matter of time before there's another referendum. And in some ways, Scotland is de facto already independent, even if it's kind of legally part of the UK, just because it has diverged so much from, from, from British politics in terms of the voices which are legitimate, the way that people feel about things, the way that things are framed. How does one actually make this referendum settle the European question, at least for a while? Because in 75, it did settle it for a generation um, but it wasn't very long even after 75 before people were calling for Britain to leave Europe again including the people who said that they would accept the result in 1975 I, Yeah I think it took Tony Benn about six months exactly. before he started campaigning again so yeah people don't change their views I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if as I also hope and expect uh, the side I'm on wins this referendum uh, it's not going to change Bill Cash's view or Nigel Farage's view overnight um, but I mean, the, the obvious point to make is that the size of the result will, will make a huge difference. Um, and uh, you know, that's why I'm, I, I'm very keen. We, we don't just win, but we win big enough to, to, to settle it for a long time. Uh, the other point is that it is so clearly not in Britain's national interest that we forever hang around on the edge of the EU, not quite committed and but but not wanting to pull out it's it's not a comfortable position is why i as as a pro european think this referendum is a good thing i think it is important to settle this question so that we do establish what britain's position is inside the european union as well as settling that britain will be in uh, the european union because we're not for as far ahead as the eye can see going to think about joining the eurozone so therefore we've got to settle uh, a way of making sure the single market works for those outside as well as those uh, inside the eurozone um, we don't particularly believe in ever closer union if, if that means a united states of europe a, a federal state of europe you know britain won't accept that for as far ahead as the eye can see if ever um, and so therefore i think we you know we do need this renegotiation we need a referendum to uh, establish the facts of what the British people say and then we can all get on with our lives. Can I ask you one final question about the Conservative Party because that is obviously um, going to be critical to winning this referendum is going to be to get as many Conservatives behind it as possible and as, as much of the Conservative Party machinery behind it as well. Um, how do you see things uh, playing out because I think a lot of Eurosceptics are pretending that they're keeping an open mind until the re until the renegotiation is over, and you know maybe there are some people who are waiting to be decided. But I think 
uh, it's unlikely that the content of the renegotiations can be so vast that it will sway a lot of people who are very Eurosceptic. How do you see things um, shaping up in terms of the the percentage, both of people in the 1922 committee, but also in the in the party at large, who end up on the the inside, and how? Does that impact on the mechanics of a campaign and your ability to, to get people out to vote? Because given how soon the referendum is likely to be, it's unlikely that there are, it will be mainly the political parties that have the ability to get people uh, to polling stations. There's not going to be time to build up either for the outside or for the, the insider kind of proper grassroots um, uh, campaign. I think assuming that the Prime Minister does a successful negotiation and says, I'm coming back and recommending that we stay in. The Conservative Party will probably be two to one in favour. Uh, I think, and I think that applies to the Parliamentary Party, and I think it will apply to uh, the party membership as well. In terms of, of, of the mechanics, you know, David Cameron is leader of the Conservative Party, uh, and the Conservative Party has the structures where if the leader says, this is the party policy and the majority of the party support that, then, then the, the, the party machinery is, is his to command. So obviously there will be individuals, there will be individual MPs, there will be individual members, there may be individual members of the cabinet who say, well, I'm off, I'm, I'm you know, going to fight on the other side of this and we will all have to come together afterwards and you know, that's a task for, for the day after tomorrow. But the, the machinery is at at the command of the leader uh, in the Conservative Party. So if David Cameron says this is the policy, then that's what happens. Great. Thank you very much, Damien Green. That was fascinating. That was Damien Green, a Conservative MP, which I, in an interview that I recorded before the campaign launch, I later caught up with one of his Labour counterparts. So I'm joined by Emma Reynolds, who is the MP for Wolverhampton North East uh, and is a former Labour Europe spokesperson who is one of the leading lights on the Labour In campaign. So Emma, what is your elevator pitch to Labour supporters about why they should vote for to stay in? I think the most important message about, is about jobs and investment, that as part of the European Union, uh, Britain is able to attract investment from all corners of the world. In my own constituency, Jaguar Land Rover has just invested in a massive new engine plant and that's brought nearly 1,500 jobs to the area. So I think jobs and investment is one of the key messages for a Labour audience, but for British people as, as a whole. And then in terms of a Labour audience, the protections that we get through the EU um, for workers' rights, whether it's working time, the fact that we get paid holiday because of the legislation passed by Europe, or whether it's rights for part-time workers or or maternity and paternity rights as well. So um, I think it's got to be a mixture of all those things, and it will depend which part of the Labour audience you're talking to. So how do you deal with the arguments on the left about austerity? I mean, immediately after the, the Greek crisis, there were a lot of Labour people like Owen Jones and other sort of commentators in particular coming out of the woodwork and, and saying maybe there should be a, a Labour uh, no out campaign or Lexit, I think was the phrase that, that Owen Jones used. Well, I mean, f 
firstly, I would say we've got to be in the European Union to shape it, and it's not actually the European Union as an institution that is imposing austerity on Greece. It's actually the leadership of the European Union and the fact that so many European Union governments are on the centre-right. And when in 2000, in the early 2000s, Um, so many centre-left governments were in power, it was a very different type of European Union. So that's not... His argument is about what kind of Europe we want rather than an argument against the European Union, in my view. So in that context, about this question about what kind of Europe um, we want, how do you think the Labour Party should deal with uh, David Cameron's renegotiation? Well, the Labour Party is going to campaign to stay in the European Union regardless of what David Cameron's so-called renegotiation um, results in because, frankly, he's going to talk up whatever he brings back because whenever he comes back with this deal, his party is going to become severely... Well, it's already deeply divided, but those divisions are going to surface. We are more interested in arguing for the principle of being in the EU than we are around his deal. Um, It remains to be seen whether the deal would be substantive or not, but we were very clear from the beginning not to put red lines around his deal because we want to stay in the European Union anyway. So I think we, we avoided falling into this trap that we would ask him to do A, B or C and if he didn't do A, B or C that we would campaign to come out because we're not going to campaign to come out. And in effect, if he brings something back that we don't like, the answer to that is to get him out of Downing Street rather than to campaign to come out of the EU. So that was one of the big thing messages that came out of the Labour Party conference. Exactly. Um, people had gone in not knowing exactly where Jeremy Corbyn would land on these issues. But there are still uh, a few Labour uh, MPs who want to leave the European Union. They launched this Labour for Britain campaign. I mean, how important a voice do you think they're going to be within the Labour movement? What do you think... Um, from your best guess, the the splits will be both within the parliamentary party but also within the wider Labour movement? The vast majority of Labour MPs are pro-European and actually some of the Eurosceptics left in the last Parliament. So I was debating with some Labour MPs who are no longer MPs and so I think there's an even smaller group of Labour MPs who want um, us to leave. And I would say there's no more than eight or nine, in fact, um, out of our parliamentary group, which is, and I think now 200 and... I can't remember where we are, 230-something, <laughs> I think, fewer than we would like anyway. But the vast majority, I'd say 90 95% of our MPs are pro-European. And if the Labour Party conference is anything to go by, the vast majority of our members uh, are pro-European too. And when I was doing the Shadow Europe job, I travelled around the country speaking to different local parties and there are very, very few true Eurosceptics in our party. So we'll have a very clear message to the British people that the Labour Party thinks it's in our interest, in the national interest, to remain in the European Union. One of the key things that which will determine the result of the referendum is going to be turnout. And one of the solutions to turnout is going to be the, the ground campaigns that the different political parties launch. What kinds of things um, do you think the Labour in campaign can start doing now in this kind of uncertain period when people don't really know 
uh, when the referendum was going to be, what kind of package David Cameron's going to renegotiate? Well, we have a great opportunity um, in May because we have local elections in most parts of the country as well as uh, big elections in London for the mayoral election and in Wales and Scotland for the Scottish Parliament and the uh, Assembly in Wales. So one idea, and I hope that we will do this, is that we will be encouraging all of our activists who are going out there asking for people how they're going to vote in May in these elections, also asking them how they might vote in a referendum. Now, some of those people might not have made up their minds. Um, Some of them will, because some people already have strong opinions about these issues. But that will be a good way of trying to get a sense of where people are early on. Um, Obviously, we don't know when the referendum is going to come down the track yet. But I certainly feel from the conversations that I've had with people that it is um, the timetables is slipping somewhat. So we thought it might be... June next year, I think that's pretty unlikely. Um, So we will have some time after the May elections to also do a proper ground campaign um, in in predominantly Labour areas to see where the vote is, where the pro-European vote is, persuade people who are undecided, and then towards the end of the campaign, uh, make sure that we get them out on the day. So one of the real searing political moments uh, for all uh, Labour Party MPs was the experience of the referendum in Scotland and its aftermath. What do you think the main lessons are for the European referendum from Scotland? I think the main lesson is that we should have a distinctive Labour campaign. Um, I think that is the key lesson. Now, some of our colleagues and some people, uh, some commentators, should I say, were saying, oh, gosh, you know, if the Labour Party goes in too strongly on the pro-European side, then we're going to lose all these voters to UKIP and made this read across that because we were um, in favour of staying of Scotland staying in the United Kingdom, that somehow that meant that we lost all these Scottish MPs. Firstly, I would disagree with that analysis. I think that the problems in Scotland have much deeper roots than the uh, way that the Labour Party campaigned for the referendum. And I think also there is a more visceral identity politics in Scotland, which isn't quite the same as the question about European Union membership or not, because I don't think it's how... European you are I think it's got to be a more pragmatic and patriotic case that we are stronger as British people in Britain our country is stronger we're more prosperous we have more influence we can stand tall in the world as part of the European Union whereas in Scotland the question really became how Scottish are you so I do think that some people have tried to read across too much from the Scottish campaign in the referendum to the European campaign. But certainly the main lesson I would draw is that we have to have a distinctive Labour campaign. On this pragmatism case, I mean, one of the most powerful arguments in Scotland was, was Project Fear. It was the idea of the risks of, of being out. How, what do you think the balance uh, should be on the European uh, campaign because obviously on the one hand as in Scotland the people who want to go out don't seem to have a clear plan it's not obvious what their solutions uh, are going to be so there it will be a leap into the unknown uh, but at the same time 
that rather bloodless better together campaign did allow the people who were in favour of Scottish independence to to win the emotional arguments with with, uh, the public? Well, firstly, I think it's brilliant that we are not a no campaign because I think it was extremely difficult. Firstly, we were part of this better together uh, no campaign in Scotland, which was a multi-party campaign and people did feel uncomfortable about that we could go into arguments for and against that in some ways that was quite powerful because it was a lot of different people saying the same thing but it did feel very negative but one of the reasons was because the answer was no (laughs) and you know people said how can we make a positive case for no it was quite difficult but I do think again the lesson would be that I think you need to lead with the positives you lead with the positive arguments but I think there has to be an argument about what the alternative is. And I did a uh, an interview this week, a discussion with a Conservative MP, and I put to him, if coming out means that we are like Norway, why is that gaining influence? Because Norway pays into the EU budget, abides by the rules of the single market, has access to that single market, but has no say in the rules whatsoever. So I do think that we will very quickly get onto that territory, but I do think it's important that we lead with the positive argument, but we will need to be making the arguments about the risks of leaving and what does out look like and all the uncertainty that goes with the negotiation and the process of leaving. And another question from Scotland is how do you make sure that this isn't a never-ending? Well, um, I would love for us to have a very decisive victory in this referendum. I would prefer it to be a 60-40 or (laughs) 65-25 split. Now, I might not get my dream on that one, but whoever is the Prime Minister after this referendum, and I am assuming it will be David Cameron and whoever is our leader and I assume it's the incumbent we need to draw a line under it once it's happened regardless of how close it is actually it would be easier if it isn't close but even if it is close once the people have spoken once we've had that referendum we need to draw a line under it and get on with other things so final questions about the the refugee crisis which has been completely dominating the headlines for the last few months um how do you see that playing into the referendum campaign and the run-up to it? Well, it will be. It will depend on the timing of the campaign. I think there's a very strong sense, certainly in my own constituency, that there is a difference between refugees and migrants and that there are lots of people who are living in appalling conditions in refugee camps uh, in and around Syria and that actually we've got to help those people, that this is a humanitarian crisis. However, the feeling towards economic migrants is is different, and we do need to recognise that. There's been a lot of people on the left saying that, um, not just the left, actually commentators saying that this has been a failure of of the EU, and I've made the point that it's not an institutional failure, it's a failure of leadership, really, to do, to come to an agreement about how you solve this crisis. And the only other thing I would say is that If we were not a member of the EU, the situation, which has been very difficult, that we've seen um, at Dover and Calais, then there would be nothing stopping the French, if we didn't have that level of cooperation, of moving the border really to Dover. And that would make things even worse than they are right now. 
Great. So how optimistic are you? I am very optimistic, but I'm an optimistic person. But I think there's still a long way to go and I am not in the least bit complacent. And we still have time to put the arguments out there. But I hope that the pro-Europeans now get um, really, you know, get the wind behind them because for too long we've been letting the Eurosceptics be the noisy people in all of this and make the arguments and we need to get out and start making the arguments in favour of staying in. Great. Thanks a lot, Emma. Thank you. That was Emma Reynolds, one of the leading lights in the Labour campaign, and she brings to an end this special podcast on the launch of the In campaign. If you'd like to know more about ECFR's work on Britain in Europe, please look at our website at www.ecfr.eu slash European Power slash Britain. And there you can find our renegotiation scorecard, where we look at how David Cameron's reform proposals are being received in other EU member states. You'll also find commentaries and podcasts by me and other ECFR staff and outside experts, as well as the Britain in Europe monitor, in which I comment every two weeks on developments uh, surrounding the referendum and the campaigns. For more information on the IN campaign, you can go to their website directly at www.strongerin.co.uk. And please watch this space because we'll soon be putting up a podcast where we talk to people involved in the OUT campaign. From Emma Reynolds, Damien Green and myself, it's thank you for now. The researcher for our podcast is Ulrike Franke and our editor is Katarina Botel-Azzinaro. <laughs>